0: you take out your Bibles, take out your swords, and we're joining with Joshua. They're about ready to go into battle, but before we get there, we have a very, very wonderful woman of faith to meet. Her name is Rahab. We'll be in chapter two tonight. Righteous Rahab, and the story of this incredible woman who had so much faith that she's only one of two listed in the hall of faith, the great heroes of faith, listed along with Sarah, the wife of Abraham. So that puts you in pretty rarefied air as far as a woman who's mentioned as someone who's an example of extreme faith lived out in a way that it makes it into our Bibles as an example. Remember, the Bible is not anti-women, the Bible is written in a Jewish context, almost in its entirety. And so as such, women were normally not spoken to in public, and so for one to be spoken about, it's a big deal. This is a huge thing. And so we'll pick up all of chapter 2 tonight, all 24 verses of it, as we meet righteous Rahab. Would you pray with me? Father, we again just turn our attention for this next 45 minutes or so as we open our hearts and minds for you to speak to us. Lord, to encourage us and to strengthen us, to lift our, our hearts into the heavenlies where you can tend them and mend them. And Lord, I pray that if there's someone here tonight that's come and they feel like they can't be used by you, that their life is so beaten and bruised and battered that you could never use them, that, God, you'd set them free from that thinking, that you'd draw their attention to this amazing woman who, Lord, is an example of someone who not just loved you but lived out that love. Lord was an example to the rest of us. And we pray that you'd speak to us tonight through the power of your word, we ask these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Verse 1, Joshua chapter 2. And now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from the Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And so they went, and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab, and lodged there. Now you're, you're thinking these two guys are sent out on a biblical mission and kind of the whole context of this really doesn't make a whole lot of sense knowing what God says about sexual sin of all kinds. And so there must be something to the fact that this woman was known as someone who was, shall we say, less than of a stellar character so much so that her renown reached the encampment of the Israelites on the other side of the Jordan, which is about six miles from Jericho. Now that wouldn't be too much here in L.A. We could travel that in a few minutes by car, providing it's not the 405 at rush hour. Uh, But you you can imagine that someone who lived six miles away, that's a pretty hefty day's walk. If you're going to walk six miles there and six miles back, That's a full day's journey, so it's actually quite a way. So this is a fair distance that her reputation has moved. That the life that she lived would make it to the ears of Joshua, the son of Nun, the man who has now inherited the leadership capabilities from Moses and now is going to lead the children into the promised land. As I said, she's only one of two women named in Hebrews chapter 11 and are great heroes of faith. The other is none other than Sarah. And humanly speaking, you could look at these two women and they are about as opposite as you can possibly imagine. And while Sarah was far from perfect, at least she was a godly woman and a woman who waited on the Lord. She may have not always handled things well, but Rahab is exactly the opposite. She's actually a pagan woman who knows nothing of the God of Israel. And in fact, she's a woman who has only heard on the periphery of the God of Israel. And so as they come to this story, there are polar opposites, like one that's raised in about everything that you can know about the, the one true God, and one that's raised about as far away from the one true God as somebody can get. One dedicates her body actually to be used of the Lord to bring forth Isaac, who will be in the lineage of the Messiah, and the other one who is using her body to make money. And so this is a very, very interesting story and an interesting dynamic with which it starts and, and as I looked at it this afternoon as I was just reading through these verses again and just trying to remind myself of some of the deeper truths that are here from a divine viewpoint from a divine viewpoint these two women shared the most important thing that any of us can possess and that is faith. As we saw in our study through the book of Hebrews, without faith, it is what, church? It's impossible to please God. You can't come to faith in the first place without having faith, amen? And you'll never be anything in the kingdom for the Lord without faith. And so faith is the essential in the life of every person. Without it, it's impossible to please God. And so it just goes to show you that faith is not isolated to good people. And I'm speaking circumstantially, or I'm speaking with regard to our reputation, or with regard to our upbringing, or or those things that we would call our, our sense of our identity. Faith is not isolated to just simply people whose character seems to be better than the rest of humanity. In one sense, you have Sarah. She would be in that category. She comes from a godly family. She's married to a man who's going to be the patriarch of the Jewish people. You would say she had all the advantages spiritually. You could say Sarah grew up in church. You can say about Rahab the exact opposite. She not only didn't grow up in church, she grew up too soon. But both of them possessed faith that was sufficient not only to save, but to make them a type, if you will, of someone that we can follow. Now you're saying to yourself, I don't know if I want to follow somebody whose moniker is Rahab the -the fill-in-the-blank harlot. But she went from being that to being Rahab, the woman filled with faith. Rahab, the woman who's mightily used of God. Rahab, who in that Old Testament sense is one who's saved. Though she would actually receive that salvation when Jesus paid the price on the cross, she, like Abraham, believed God. And furthermore, about Rahab, if you look in your Bible in Matthew chapter 1, you're going to find her in the lineage of Jesus the Messiah. So in the lineage of Jesus the Messiah is this one that's related to Boaz through whom comes ultimately Jesus. So God has an interesting sense of humor at times, doesn't he? It's like we think of God only using perfect people, right? I think most people actually believe that, well, you know, pastors must be made out of something special. No, we're made out of dirt just like everybody else. We're redeemed just like everybody else. We have the same potential to be both sinful and saved from that sin as everyone else. There is no difference in essence in the internal character of most people beyond the fact that some have dedicated themselves to the Lord very often sooner and maybe in a greater way but the place that we all start is dead in our trespasses and sins and then comes Jesus and makes us alive and so before we judge people and what God might do with their life we should probably take a look at Rahab because if there was ever someone who started in the wrong place at the wrong time, it's being a prostitute in a city that God is about to destroy. So she's in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people and yet she's in the lineage of the Messiah himself. So if God can use her And wherever you've been, whatever you've done, wherever your life journey has taken you, God can use you too. And God loves you deeply and desperately and extravagantly, just as he did Rahab. I think a lot of us would look at her life and say, There's no way you're using her. I honestly think that Rahab probably thought that about herself. But she believed in God, she trusted God. She relinquished her life to God. She said, I- I'm not going to let my past be my identity. I'm going to live for you in the future. And because of that, that promise of Hebrews eleven six 6 is true. It is impossible to please God without faith. And so she decided to invest in that area of faith in her life. She poured herself into being a person of faith. Alive faith, deep faith, hopeful faith. Blessed faith, powerful faith, faith that works, just exactly as James said. And so we see this incredible, courageous, confident woman. Verse 2, I was told to the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. Now you have to remember the word country here means country Uh, in in a way that is foreign to us. Because during this time, especially in this particular region of the world, especially under the Canaanite civilizations, cities were actually states very often. And so this is the city-state of Jericho, and thereby it's actually also a country. It happens to be a place where there is a unique group of people Those people have a king, and even though there may have only been a few thousand of them at the time, uh, they actually had a leader. That leader was a king. And so the king of Jericho sent sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. So here's a direct order from the king of the city of Jericho. Now, to put this into perspective for you, the city of Jericho lies in the Jordan Valley. It's still there today. We generally do not visit it because it's in the midst of the West Bank. It is actually the headquarters of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, and it's a fairly dangerous place to just be wandering around. Now, I'm not saying that for any other reason then we simply don't take people generally to places where they may possibly be in danger. So we avoid Jericho. But Jericho happens to hold a very specific place in the geography of the world. It is the world's lowest city by geography. It sits at 886 feet below sea level. It's in the Jordan River Valley, it is directly across from the River Jordan. It's almost in the bottom of the river valley, but it sits at a spring. And that spring is one of the most famous in all of the Middle East. It is the spring of Elisha. And to this day, out of it bubbles about 1,000 gallons of fresh water every minute. It's enough to irrigate about 2,500 acres of dates. And so the reason that Jericho was there is it is on the crossroads of the Jericho Road, which you all know from several stories in your Bible. The road to Jericho is the road on which the Samaritan man is is found, ministering to the person who's been waylaid on the side of the road, this misfortunate one. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho runs West to east. It runs down to the Jordan River at a narrow, shallow spot, and from there runs over to the area of Edom, specifically to the land of the Nabataeans who carved the rock city of Petra. It is also the junction of the road that runs north south from Egypt to Damascus. And so it has all of the makings of a very, very perfect place to have a whole bunch of people. It has the necessary things. It has trade routes that go both directions. It has an elevated place from the bottom of the Jordan River Valley. It has a full time water supply that basically has unlimited fresh water for the inhabitants. And so the people become traders specifically in dates. And they trade with Egypt and the Assyrians to the north or the remnants of the Assyrian people. And so this is an oasis. This is a city that has two walls that surround it, an exterior wall, an interior wall, and inside of that is a city. And that's where Rahab lives. And then the woman took the men and hid them. And so she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. And now, before anybody gets too far along, yes, she absolutely is not telling the truth. As far as the strict dictates of the truth are concerned, but before you get too terribly concerned, remember the Bible forbids lying in the sense that the Bible talks about it, which is being a false witness. In other words, something that you're telling primarily for your own benefit and for the deception of someone else. This is clearly not the case here. She is attempting to save the lives of these two men. And so rather than dwell on that too much, just recognize we may not understand the whole story here, but she is indeed going to hide them, much like Corey Ten Boom hid Jewish people so that they would not be murdered by the Nazis. And so when the gate was shut, the men went out. She basically says, hey, they're not here. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly that you might overtake them. In other words, it's kind of like they went that way. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. So she was obviously very industrious. It actually says she built the roof of her own house. So this was a woman who wasn't afraid to work. This was a woman who knew what it was like to pave her own way. She had a reputation that went before her. But she was doing everything she could to be a member of society in good standing, so much so that she built the roof on her own house. And then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan. So they're heading from the west to the east. Important piece of information. That is also downhill. It'd be about six or seven hundred feet to the valley floor from there. And as they're marching downhill, trying to find these two Uh, supposed spies, they pursued the men by the road to the Jordan to the fords. Fords is not the car, that would be the crossing of the Jordan River. The Allenby Bridge sits at roughly that spot today. It's one of the two bridges that cross the Jordan that allow you to travel from Israel uh, into Jordan, one roughly midway down the Jordan River Valley, the other at the south down by the Israel city of Eilat. And so they pursued him to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Both Hebrews chapter 11 and James chapter 2 indicate that before the spies arrived, Rahab had placed her faith in God. Now, she did not know God fully, and this is really important. And it's important for this reason. When you are showing people a life of faith, when you are sharing the gospel, when you are living out your life for Christ, you are enabling people, as imperfectly as they may see it, you are enabling people to see who God is, to actually begin to know him, And it is necessary in everyone's journey of faith that there's some starting point. And we don't know where that starting point is. Somebody along the line somewhere told Rahab at least enough that she had placed her trust in this God she knew very little about. She was not a Hebrew She was not growing up in a Hebrew society. This was a pagan culture, a pagan city, but somebody took time to share about the one true God with her. Never underestimate what you sharing the good news with one person one time could actually bear in their life. You never know when God's going to bring that fruit to fruition. You just don't know. So make sure that you take every opportunity to show people and to tell people about the Lord. In doing so, you may be contributing to the spiritual life of the next Rahab. Someone mightily used of the Lord. just like the people in Thessalonica who turned from God. Turn to God, rather, from idols. Or in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, to serve the true and the living God. They lived in a pagan culture. They they knew nothing really about God, but somehow God had sent along emissaries to speak to them the truth. This is our purpose in life, if you want to really look at it that way. Your job is to make known the Lord Jesus. That's, that's what we're to be about as Christians. We're not here to make money. We're not here to make fame. We're not here to make, in essence, a name for ourselves. We're here to make him known. And to the extent that we do that, then those things which we do are eternal. It will last indefinitely into, into eternity. Because when someone comes to faith in Christ, that fruit remains in in the account of the person who cared sufficiently to plant that tree, to water that tree, to prune that tree. Rahab wasn't like the people of Samaria who centuries later feared the Lord, or in 2 Kings 17, but still served their own gods. She actually had legitimate faith, sufficient enough to save her. When you get to heaven, you're going to, there's going to be some interesting people to talk to when we get to heaven. Amen? Can you imagine? It's like, Adam, what were you thinking? (laughs) You you ever ever wonder about some of the conversations you're going to have in heaven? You know, lot. How dumb does one have to be? You know, I mean, there are just some people It's like, Rahab, what was that like? And you're in a man's world. A war's about to ensue. You're on your own. You're fixing your own roof. And you trusted God in that moment? Man, some of us can't trust God when God's been good to us. There's some... Awesome people that we get to talk to when we get to heaven. She lives in this very strategic city. Joshua being on the other side of the Jordan, which would be in modern day Jordan, by the way, this is one of the areas where Israel is only about six or seven miles wide. If you look at the Palestinian territory, the West Bank, and you go from there to the Actual Jordan River. The Jordan River is the boundary of Israel and Jordan. The middle of it, actually the middle of the Jordan River, is actually the geographic boundary between the two countries. And so here on the other side, in what we would call Jordan, awaits the people of Israel. Haven't wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They're now about ready to come in. And they're strangers in this land. They're sojourners. They, they've been wandering in the wilderness. And here they are, massed on the other side of the Jordan, getting ready. And, and you can well imagine that from six miles away, when you have an elevated position, the bottom of the, river, the Jordan River Valley is very, very flat. The mountains are actually on both sides, but they're not in the middle. So there's no doubt at night, the people in Jericho are going, they're right over there. That's an awful lot of campfires. There's a whole bunch of people down there. They must be up to something. And it's not like you could sneak up on them either. So as they're traveling, here come these spies. You can almost imagine. It's like, oh, they're right over there. To this day, other than the date palms, which are around the water supplies... From the Jordan River, where the water is, to Jericho, it's dry desert. It's like, any of you driven out, once you go over the pass and you're heading through Lancaster and Palmdale and you get the other side to Mojave, you ever notice there's not a whole lot out there? That's the way it looks there, still to this day. There are no forests, there's no cover. And here... Rahab has these two spies. They got nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. And here they are in the home of the woman that the people in town know her reputation. Some people have made the comment that the Hebrew word translated harlot can mean one who keeps an inn. That is true, it can. The problem is that James chapter two and Hebrews chapter 11 use the word that only means all the time, 100% of the time, prostitute. So Rahab was a prostitute. That's how she was known. And so she would be really easy to find. Not like she would be hidden. She was known. Her reputation preceded her and in his remarkable grace god uses people whom you and i would never think to use you and i'd be making a list of well let's find the most godly strong man you know we're just going we're going to go and we're going to find somebody who's walking with the lord and he's good with the sword and we're going that's going to be our guy in jericho And maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking God can't use you. Maybe you feel like Rahab probably thought and felt, God can't use me. God won't have anything to do with me. He knows my history. He knows my past. He knows I'm not far removed from. We're not told how far removed, if she is removed at all, From the reason she has this moniker. I'm not suggesting to you there's not sin. Nowhere is her sin defended here, but God is saying when He transforms, He transforms to the uttermost. Amen? He changes hearts and He changes minds and He changes lives and He can take the most wicked among us and turn us into the most glorious tools that will simply yield to the work of his Holy Spirit. Rahab said yes to that transformation and she was used mightily of the Lord. I want to tell you, you can't defend the tools that she's using here to their Inth degree, so if I were you, I wouldn't try. I've had people, well, you know, it really wasn't prostitution. And, oh, she was, yeah, it was. And you can't say that was good. Did she straight up lie? Yes, she did. If you want to look at it, in a technical definition of lying, yes, she didn't tell the truth. But she definitely didn't have her own well-being in mind. She actually put herself at risk by telling that lie. She would have been killed for telling that lie. So there wasn't much in it for her. And so be careful about trying to defend Old Testament practices because you're going to find yourself trying to defend why did God allow the slaughter of innocent people, children at times? Because he did matter of fact he told the Jewish people to wipe out the Amalekites and don't even let their women and their children live so there are some things in the Old Testament you need to leave in the Old Testament and understand that God allowed things to happen under that dispensation that he would never have us do under grace just leave them there it's okay and when you get to heaven you can ask God when you get there why did you do that because your pastor doesn't know I don't have an answer for you. Why would he even protect this pagan city in the first place? Why would it exist? Very hard to explain. There are things that God does that we do not fully understand while we're alive on this earth. And that's why you need to lean on what the prophet Isaiah said God, your ways are above my ways. So high are they that they are higher than the heavens. And I cannot know them. This is one of those times. Was Rahab a believer? Yes. But most importantly, what she was to me is a picture of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise See, Jeff Gill, Pastor Jeff, would not have done this this way. I would have picked some really righteous, you know, like a platoon of like Delta forces or Navy SEALs. So going behind the lines. It would have kind of been like a Mission Impossible movie. You know, somebody would have come down on a cable from a helicopter and that it would have somehow defeated most of the people inside of Jericho and the people would have just walked in and they would have been fine. You see, I would have done it a different way. But God has chosen, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27-29, to 29, the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. I would be Rahab. Imagine what her life was like. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. And here's why. So that no flesh should glory in his presence. There would be no doubt that God God alone, and only God, could accomplish this particular feat through somebody like Rahab. She wasn't a mighty warrior. She wasn't a judge like Deborah. She was a woman who could fix her own roof and had a reputation that wasn't so hot. On one hand, she demonstrates her faith in the Lord by risking her own life. On the other hand, she kind of acted like you and I would probably act if we were in a situation where we might die. You know, until you've been in those situations, you really don't know what you're going to say. And you know, I've had a lot of people in, you know, in the decades of ministry tell me, oh, I would never have done that. Well, until you've had your life threatened. I can tell you, you don't know how you're going to respond. We'd all like to say, well, we'd, be, we'd stand for the Lord. Maybe you would. Maybe you wouldn't. But what we know about Rahab was how it all ended, how it worked out, right? What happened to her in the end she was possessed of great faith god used her as an example to all of us it's very clear church that lying is is wrong proverbs 12:22 if you need to look it up and the fact that her lies are recorded in scripture are also not proof that god's saying yeah it's okay to lie But what was accomplished through her life is not indicative of just this moment of time where maybe she under pressure did something that she probably wouldn't do if she had a little more time to think about it or another way to accomplish it. In fact, James chapter 2 verse 25 sees her actions as proof that she was a true believer. So however God worked all this out Just leave it in God's hands. We know what God says about her and that frankly is enough for me. And now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, verse eight, verse nine, that I know the Lord has given you the land. Now this is crazy. So here's a pagan woman in a, pagan, in a pagan town, under threat of death for her own life, hiding spies from the enemy. And she says, I know that God's given you this land. It's actually yours. And that the terror of you has fallen on us. In other words, the whole city of Jericho, which was the most fortified city in the Jordan River Valley at the time. This is a Canite city. They use stacked stone walls. Those stone walls, according to archaeologists today, the city has been excavated multiple times. We're in excess of 25 feet tall if you include both walls. So this is a major fortified city at a time when fortified cities were few and far between. And that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. for how now we have heard how the Lord dried up the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. So here's how that story comes into, into their ears. You know, when God does great things through his people, the world ends up knowing about it. Amen? It's what happens. God wants himself to be made known, so he does extraordinary things through his people so that the world can know that he's real. You see, in our minds we think about, oh, well, this is in Israel and Jordan's on the other side, and you know, Saudi Arabia's just to the south of that. And there is a point at the tip of the bottom of the state of Israel to this day, where when you're in the city of Ilat, within about fifteen minutes, you can be in Jordan, Saudi Arabia, or Egypt. Just depends on which direction you go. So those countries all meet about 35 miles south of this particular location. And so it would be very easy, and in fact, there are Egyptian hieroglyphs in the region of Temna, which are the area of Solomon's copper mines, which are also just south of Jordan and the the city of Jericho. And when you came out of Egypt, what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of the city of Jordan. So the Amorites, the Edomites, they're all on the eastern shore of the Jordan River who were on the other side. Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. So the story is found in the book of Kings. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven, above, and on earth, beneath. Church, remember what I said. Faith is only as good as its object. And in this case, notice whom she glorifies. Your God is the one that delivered your people out of Egypt. The reason they made it from the Egyptians, now bear in mind that the Egyptians are only about 140 miles south of here. So this is like probably a six to ten day journey through some fairly hostile desert environment, but the fact of the matter is, it's not a world away. It's very close. The renown of the Lord has made it back to the Canaanites, And to all the peoples collectively known as the Canaanites, which is the Amorites, the Moabites, the Jebusites, these are all people that lived in this region of the world, collectively known as the Canaanites. And they're all shaking in their boots. They're saying, look, we saw what you did. Now think of who the reference is to. It's to Egypt. What was Egypt at that time? They were the most powerful nation in the world. By this time, the pyramids at Giza were in full swing. Matter of fact, they were already in decline. The city of Karnak, this incredible city of the Egyptian gods, was still on the edge of the banks of the Nile. Thebes was still inhabited by the Egyptian priests. And they're just south of where this is happening. And somehow, this ragtag band, which just got done wandering for 40 years out in an inhospitable desert, one of the most absolutely inhospitable places on the planet Earth, they somehow survived 40 years of wandering in that desert. That group of people that got delivered from the most powerful army on the face of the Earth, that possessed bronze weapons and chariots, got defeated that group crossed on dry land to the other side to a place called the anvil of the sun they now wandered in that wilderness and those people are on your doorstep you think you might be a little scared it's like there's something going on but looking at them you're not going wow they look like a really mighty military force you're going no they look like vagabond farmers So whatever they're drinking out there in that wilderness, we're afraid of it. Well, what were they drinking? They were drinking of God. They were eating of God. They were walking with God. In fact, God was meeting with them in a physical form in this tent that they carried around called the tabernacle, so much so that there was a pillar of fire by night and a cloud during the day. That's on the other side of the Jordan, So here's the people in Jericho. Uh, Did you guys see the cloud that kind of hovers over that group of people that are by that pillar of fire that we can see at night and all the campfires around it? Why were they scared? Because if God before you, who can be against you? That's why. And Rahab knew it. God's renown had preceded them into that valley. And so she had this courageous faith because she witnessed people whose courage emanated from what God had done because they were walking in in a manner of speaking under the shadow of the almighty that they were covered by his wings and they were protected other people were going we don't know what's happening but man that's not normal And the same is true for you. When God delivers you from drugs, when God delivers you from that horrible marriage situation, God heals your marriage. When God brings your kids back from the brink of destruction, when the Lord delivers you into a new job when it seems hopeless, when the Lord fixes your finances, when God saves your life when you're terminally ill, that is the same thing. The world's watching going, what is that? And when you declare with a loud voice, this is my God. They have to deal with the fact that you have borne testimony that nothing apart from God could do what has happened in your life. That's what the children of Israel did. As imperfectly as they did it. Because remember, they weren't exactly on it all the time. Amen? They did some grumbling. They did some complaining. Matter of fact, they got to the border and looked in and kind of wimped out. But God's still God. And God can use anybody. Including me. And including you. Give them an opportunity to do that. But your faith has to work, amen? Isn't that the context of the book of James? Your faith has to work. It takes the whole you. It takes your mind being instructed. It takes your emotions being engaged. It takes your act of your own will, your obedience to God. That's how evidence comes about, by the way. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen, amen? Hebrews 11, 1. Why is that important? Because that takes all of you for that to be a reality to anyone else. You have to first believe it with your mind. You have to be dedicated to it with your emotion. And you have to do it with your life. That is your body, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Amen? It's all of you. That's how faith is real to other people. When you believe it with your mind, when you're fully engaged with your heart, and when you are willing to act on it, that's when faith is real. Now if the object of that faith is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if it's the great I am, and you're all in with your mind, you're all in with your heart, and you're all in with your body, then you are bearing testimony that God is who he says he is. That's what faith needs to do. What did Rahab actually believe? Think about it for a second. She certainly believed in the one true God of Israel. Amen. That's who she knew. It's the only one she knew, in fact. She also believed that he was personal. Because notice what she says to those that she's talking to your God. That's a personal God. That's just not some ethereal being. That's you guys believe in him, and I believe you believe in him, and he's the one true God. He was the God of Israel. Notice that she already knew that the God, the one God, had given them, your God, had given you this land. Omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, omnipresent. The one true God is in action here. She's believing in this. Wasn't limited to one nation or to one people, so he's the God of the whole of heaven and earth. I believe in your God. These pagan gods, what I got from worshiping them was this miserable life that I live. When you offer somebody the truth of the gospel, the good news that Christ died for them, that they are precious in his sight, people get transformed. Their their lives get changed. They go from what they used to be to what they are in him. Rahab believed these things. This, This great God that she could call upon that she knew was there, she knew was with these people that were now standing at the very door of Jericho. And when we have that kind of confidence, the world stands up and takes notice. You know, it's pretty crazy what's going on in our world right now, but you know who's actually standing in the midst of all this? People who really trust the Lord. Not people who went off on some political tangent, Not people who went off on some tangent with regard to COVID or the vaccines or whatever or mass or any of those things. It's people who believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and He is the God of everything and every day. We're still standing. We're still going, God didn't change. It's because He didn't do things my way Doesn't, doesn't mean He's failed. So I have patience to wait on that one true God to step into my reality and to change what needs to be changed. Notice the evidence of what she actually believed. She had compassion and care. John writes to us in his epistles, God is love. And in fact, if you don't love other people, You're not a believer because God's love is the preeminent thing that God offers to us. If you do not love your brother, whom you have seen, how can you love God, whom you have not seen? Verse 12 Now, therefore, I beg you, swear by me, by the Lord since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and to give me a true token. Spare my father, and my mother, my brothers, my sisters, all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. And so the men answered, our lives are yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, it shall be. And when the Lord has given us this land, we will deal kindly and truly with you. So the Spies uh, have been hidden. And Rahab's talking to him. He's like, okay, I did my part. The men from the city have been fooled. They've gone away. Notice the care and compassion she has for her family. Now, when you're in a life or death situation, I can tell you this, most people think first about their own life. You will then think about, you know, maybe your own children, perhaps your own spouse. But she's caring about her mom and her dad. She's filled with care. She's filled with compassion. She's not just concerned about herself. And if you look at what her lifestyle is, you would say there's probably a pretty high degree of potential that she might be a little self-centered Not in the Lord, because the Lord changes your heart in that regard. When you've received mercy, you're merciful. When you've received forgiveness, you're forgiving. When you've had your life transformed, you want others' lives transformed. When you've been spared, you want others spared. That's what happens. It's the whole context of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Do good to those who spitefully use you. It's interesting. That's a story of faith really throughout the Bible. But if you remember that that cleansed leper that Mark's gospel begins with in chapter 1, when he went home, he told everybody, everybody what Jesus had done. Rahab wanted the assurance from these two spies that when the city was taken that they're her family would be safe, and they gave it to her. They pledged their word. They pledged their lives. They said, so be it. Now, they understood what it meant to make a covenant before God. And it's important for us to realize that covenant people honor God. That's why the Bible reminds us that as believers, our yes is to be yes. Yes. And our no is to be no. The world is like crossing fingers and crossing legs and crossing toes. And they're like, well, yeah, okay, but they don't really mean it. Because we represent God, we are supposed to be able to look people in the eye and say, if I say yes, it means yes. And my word means something. Because the Bible is filled with God making covenants with us and us making covenants with him. And those covenants should stand. If you pledge your word on something as a believer, it is your obligation before God to keep it. You're representing God. You don't get to just say, well, you know, I I thought about it. I don't really think so. Here's why. Because if people know you're a Christian and they know you don't keep your word, they think God doesn't keep his word. And so they doubt what the Bible itself says, and they doubt the veracity of the life of the body of Christ. And so they go, well, I don't want anything to do with Christians. They're deceitful, they're liars, they're hypocrites. One of the reasons the church has such a poor witness right now in the world is because of the hypocrisy of Christians. We say one thing and do another. We tell people, oh, you know, marriage is sacred, but there's no difference in the divorce rate for Christians than there is for non Christians. We say, well, you know, you really shouldn't get drunk, but you find Christians sitting there with a, you know, on Instagram and they're toasting their friend's birthday party or whatever, and they're sloshed out of their minds, their eyeballs are going two different directions. If you say the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want, then your life should say, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Amen? Don't forget that. So important that we don't misrepresent the Lord. We need to be as he is to us. Rahab finished her life being kept by faith. And then she let them down by a rope through a window, for her house was on the city wall. Now imagine that very often, as it was, you can see this in the time of Nehemiah, that everyone built the portion of the wall that was behind their own home. Why was that? Because it would be a horrific waste to build a city wall and then to put another wall just four feet away. Only we dumb folks here in California do that. Drive down Normandy... Those new houses that are a million bucks on Normandy you can put your hand you could pass stuff to people driving by on Normandy There's like a there's like a 7 foot wall and then there's like 2 feet of space and then your window and then the wall of the house there's like wall 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 they didn't do that then why because building materials were very hard to come by That's why so very few cities exist in our modern day and time from antiquity because the building materials were so valuable they simply took the old buildings down and built new buildings. They used the same stones over and over and over again. Rahab's house was on the outside of the city on the wall. So this means she's on the lower slope There's first the outside defensive wall. There's a secondary wall to keep the city from being breached. She lives outside on the defensive wall. She dwelt on the wall. And then she said to them, Get to the mountain lest the pursuers meet you, and hide there for three days until the pursuers have returned, and afterwards you can go your way. And so the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours of which you have made us swear unless when we have come into the land you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. Now notice this, this is not something normal. This window is going to be tied in plain sight where everyone can see it. There's only one person in the city that's been interviewed, and it's Rahab, and here's this odd thing hanging out of her window, a scarlet cord. Unless you bring your father and your mother and your brothers and all of your father's household into your own home. Now bear in mind, at that time, a home was probably no bigger than 12 by 12. So just do some simple math here. This, this at at a very minimum, is five, six, seven people, if we're only getting the ones that are named and there's no other children, all sitting in a a room that we would call a very small bedroom in a home. And they're going to stay there during this time. No heat. Fireplaces in the middle in the form of a hearth. There may have been some water and some jugs. This is like... Okay, see if you can survive now. And so it shall be that whoever goes outside of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be in his own head. In other words, if you leave this room, you're dead. Don't blame it on us. And if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be free from your oath which you made us swear. And then she said, according to your word, so let it be. And she sent them away, and they departed. And she bound that scarlet cord to the window, and they departed, went to the mountain, stayed there for three days until the pursuers returned. So people from the city of Jericho are chasing the spies. They go into the mountain. That would be to the west. It goes almost directly up. And matter of fact, there's two monasteries up there, including one that is believed to be the spot that Jesus was tempted by Satan. The pursuers sought after them all along the way, but did not find them. And so the two men returned and descended from the mountain and crossed over. And they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told them all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. And so this story ends as a display of the faith of Rahab. Rahab says, I trust God, and I'm going to make a covenant with these guys that I don't even know, but I know their are God. And so if their God was good to them, their God will be good to me. If their God is for them, their God is for me. And if I stand in truth, the God of all truth will be for me. These are New Testament principles found here in the Old Testament story of Joshua God had made covenants, and God's covenant people, when they make a covenant with others in this world, as we keep them, the Lord gets the glory for it. That token of what God wants to do, sealed here, in essence, by this scarlet cord, of course, it indicates all kinds of things. If you want to look at it. It reminds us of the blood that was put on the doorpost, of the windows and the doorposts, the of lentils of the homes in, in Egypt. Remember what the sign was there, which also made zero sense. The average person coming by, you could almost say, well, here, let's identify where all the Jews are. You understand what I'm saying? It's like, we'll get out a hyssop's wisp and we'll put blood on it. And we'll put that on our doorposts of our homes and the lentils, the windows. Who else would know? Once they'd gone through about one one-hundredth of the city, that that meant there were Jewish people inside there with a firstborn. Did you ever think of that part of it? It's like by standing in faith, you're identifying with Christ. Amen? Because guess what? Blood on your windows and blood on your doorposts are saving you from no one and no thing in a practical way. Amen? They're a sign of what? faith in the same way this scarlet cord is saving you from no one and no thing amen it's a cord actually the word used here does not mean rope it means string so this is a small cord it's not even sufficient really to lower someone down the city wall although the wall at that level was probably only eight to ten feet tall You could jump off of it and not be hurt too badly. But the fact of the matter is, it's hanging out of exactly one window. And the city of Jericho was kind of an oval. If you see the ruins of it today, uh, it's about 350 yards long, and it's about 100 yards wide. And there are two walls that are concentric. They run inside of each other. And oddly enough, the walls fell inward on themselves in its destruction event. But out of one window, one house, on the entire wall, on the whole city of Jerusalem, there's somebody with a red cord hanging out of the middle of it. You think that might be kind of identifying where the spies were? I'm thinking I would think that was a little odd. Why? Because cord was very expensive and scarlet cord was even more expensive. Nobody would leave it hanging out of their window. It's kind of like, hey, steal me or hey, We're identifying something here. It was an act of faith. It was an act of courage. It was an act of strength. It was an act of trust. And in that sense, as Rahab uh, is instructing these, these spies and as the spies are instructing her, they're exchanging vows of faith. It's like, yeah, I I believe in the Lord. Yeah, well, we believe in the Lord. Let's commemorate this. You hang a cord and you're going to be spared. You leave and and I'm not going to tell anybody that you went. They're both expressing lives of faith in different ways, albeit. But they're saying, look, we trust God. Church, the lesson from this This wasn't like a religious rabbit's foot or some kind of talisman hanging out of the window. This was, I trust God. I believe in him. And I'm going to do what he says. No more than your faith is determined by whether you're baptized or not or you've celebrated at the Lord's table or you have an autographed picture from the Pope. Or you've got a bathtub with Mary standing in it in your front yard. None of those things can save you. Faith alone saves you. Faith alone is going to be the power in your life. And when you have faith, you have what you need. Without faith, you can have a fortified city and it will do you no good. So without faith, it's impossible to please God. But by faith, through faith in Christ Jesus, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen? Amen. Jericho is now secretly shut up. It's closed. Gates are locked. They're barred. And what comes next is Israel stepping out in faith across the Jordan River. So these first several chapters are really marvelous examples to us of the necessity of faith we'll pick up after next Thursday as we have the Katinas next Thursday I would encourage you to get here early because we will probably have a packed house we almost always do when they're here and uh, we're not selling tickets there's no VIP seating areas so (laughs) if you want to bring your family and be up here in the front couple of rows you need to get here early But when you come, come expecting God to do something amazing by faith. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray together as we close. Father, we are just excited about what you're doing in our lives. And we truly believe that this same faith that delivered this fortified city into the hand of the Israelites, the same faith that guided the children of Israel across the Red Sea, the same faith that was possessed of Abraham when he started out from Ur of the Chaldees and Haran, Lord, to make that journey in the wilderness across to the Promised Land, we believe that that journey and that faith is the same journey that we take towards heaven and that same faith that will get us home. And so we pray that you'd increase our faith. We ask for what you, Jesus, prayed for the disciples. Lord, not that we would be delivered from every trial or tribulation, but that we would have great faith. Lord, make us like Rahab, a woman who knew where she came from, but also knew where she was going. Give us great faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.